Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, as usual, and uh, joining me in uh, dressed up in some sort of costume. I'm not sure what exactly you're supposed to be, but it is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing? It's a scary World Series, but there's been some good games. And uh, yeah, I'm in a costume. I'm dressed up as uh, Babar the Elephant. <laughs> there's a name I've not heard for literally t- two decades, at least. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if I had kids, they'd really like it, but I don't. All right. Well, we've got a lot of stuff today. You know, our show, it's its weird today. Our, our main topic of our show today is driven by PETA, which yes, is... <laughs> it is. All right. Well, we'll we'll save our comments until until we get into the main part of our show. We're going to talk about the arm barn today in our in our main segment. So just buckle up for that. But before we do that, we want to, as usual, go ahead and get into our uh, BP so that we don't pull a muscle because we are old. Mark, a couple of things happened this last week. First of all, the regular season is starting to to wind down at the end in the NPB in Japan. And the Yakult Swallows won the Central League title this year. They are skippered by Shingo Takatsu. Do you remember Shingo Takatsu? Shingo Takatsu. You know, the last name sounds familiar, but I don't remember a Shingo, I admit. Well, he uh, he pitched for two years in the big leagues, in, in the major leagues. And he became the first Japanese manager in the NPB history to have played in both Major League Baseball as well as skippered a team that won a pennant in the NPB. So congratulations cool. to Shingo. Shingo pitched for two years. A year and a half of it with, was with the White Sox starting in 2004, and then he was traded in 2005 to the Mets. Career record of 8-6. and six. He had 27 saves. He had 19 saves his rookie year in Chicago with the White Sox. Wow. He's got to have a ring. I mean, he started the year in 2005 with the White Sox, but then was traded to the Mets. So he hmm. might not have got to celebrate, but he did get a ring. Also came in second in the Rookie of the Year balloting in 2004. Congratulations. Wow. When he played in Japan, he mainly played with Yakult. He played in Yakult. Uh, actually, it looks like his entire career in Japan, he played with them for 15 seasons where he totaled 286 saves. Very nice. Uh, last week, or maybe it was the week before, we named a bunch of animals, or at least players that were named animals. Yes. And that was uh, that was kind of fun. I think that was on our, our Glenn Hubbard episode. So I had uh, a couple of people send me some suggestions for other things, like foods. So I'm going to name this part Food Dudes. <laughs> right on i have I got like a ton of players here and I, i'm avoiding the animal ones because we've already done those even though animals are food and now we're really going to get Peter mad at us but you're going to come after us jeff yeah i know they're going to protest in front of your house we were already we were already uh, so, uh, somebody reviewed our podcast and said we specialize in red Sox history because we did two episodes back to back so we do not want to fall into that trap we don't specialize again. in yeah. So, okay, here's some some food dudes for you. Spuds Chandler, Noodles Han, which is one of my favorite. I always order that. Uh, next, we've got Coco Crisp, Chili Davis, Sam Rice, Daryl Strawberry, Pie Trainer, Zach Wheat, Bob Lemon, Johnny Oates, Damon Berryhill, Cookie Rojas, Charlie Hamburger, who we'll get into at some point, uh, Candy Maldonado, Billy Bean, Chip Hale, Dan Quisenberry, Mike Leake, Felix Pae, Candy Cummings. Remember Candy? Credited yeah. as the inventor of the curveball. Right. Very much like Abner Doubleday is credited with inventing baseball. I think there <laughs> might It may be true, we just don't know. He probably threw a curveball, but probably was not the first to do it. Also, uh, I was going to, does Gerald Salt on the Macchia count? Salt. Salt, uh, yeah. 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 I, I use Gerald Salt on the Macchia's name all the time as a worst case scenario when I'm designing yes. scoreboards and I have to put <laughs> people's right. names up there. You, see, you got to fit Salt on the Macchia on there or it's just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely going to do it. What about Willie Mays? Maze. Maze. We're heading up to, to Thanksgiving is next. Maze is corn. Maze. Oh, maze. Yes, I was going with the spelling. Apologies. 
Yeah. See, I was kind of, I kind of, that's a, what I'm trying to slide in there. There's a lot of food dudes, a lot of guys with the last name, uh, with, with food in it. So I wanted to talk about this one specifically, Bill Rogers. Uh, now, obviously no food in his, in his name there, but his nickname was Raw Meat Bill. Sweet. That is a great nickname. Yeah. I, I am not exactly sure how he got it. Two years he spent in the big leagues with three teams. Didn't really do a whole heck of a lot. You know, really just average numbers here, which is why he probably only played a year and a half, two years. But uh, the thing that I wanted to mention about Bill Raw Meat Rogers is that uh, beyond playing in the big leagues, he also managed the Peoria Red Wings of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League during the 1946 season. As, as uh, portrayed in the fantastic movie, League of Their Own. Is he, do they mention him in that movie? I don't think so, no. I was going to say, he would be a perfect foil for Tom Hanks' character. Yes. Or it could have just been Tom Hanks' character, I don't know. I, I thought it was interesting to, when, when I started to look up players that were nicknamed or named after food, there are a lot of them. I was going to go with Ricky Henderson because he's always called a hot dog, but I decided. <laughs> Would you say there's a virtual cornucopia of players named after food? I think it's even, it's not even virtual. There's just a lot of them. A lot of, a lot of players named after. We thought we were done with this for the year, Mark, but we're going to have to, we're going to have to revive it here. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a Lars Nuke Bar update. Nuke. 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 Now, Jeff, you say it's it's where the World Series is might be over by the time this this airs. What are you, what are you talking about? How is Lars Newt Bar being updated at this point? Well, Lars Newt Bar is among one of the many prospects that are taking part in the Arizona Fall League. Oh, yeah. Of the Glendale Dessert Dogs. Well, I'm guessing that's, that's probably desert dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I like dessert dogs, though. They yeah. are yummy. <laughs> yeah, so Lars Newpar, you remember, they, they have some guys that have played in the big leagues down there, but mainly it's it's younger guys that haven't played in the big leagues and are prospects. But Lars is one of those very few guys that have played in the big leagues and is getting some time down there, and he is tearing it up. Right on. So he's appeared in 11 games. He's got 15 hits. He scored 14 runs. He's wow. hit four doubles, a triple, and five home runs. He has Why? 10 RBI. He's walked nine times, struck out 11. He's hitting 341, raising the newt bar by, wow, over, by 100 points. And his uh, OPS is 1.281. Goodness sakes. Yeah. He's having a good, good fall down there. Good for him. Lars newt bar. And we're just going to call them, we're going to call them the desert dogs for now on, or the dessert dogs for now on. Desert dogs. I like that one way more. What is their, what is their logo like? I'm wondering the dessert dogs. Like a, a chocolate eclair that looks like a dachshund. Or what? <laughs> I don't know where. <laughs> maybe it's, you know, that the emoji that everybody uses is poop. Yes. <laughs> that's actually supposed to be ice cream. So maybe that's what it is. And he's got a baseball cap on. But maybe not chocolate ice cream because then it is yeah. We're 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 getting off track. <laughs> Sorry. Uh all right, let's jump into trivia. Now, Mark, I made last week's trivia question a bit harder on purpose. And it seems like I've done my job. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, there you go. So we got a lot of answers. Uh we got a lot of wrong answers, and I mean a lot of wrong answers. And we had only one correct answer. Uh, the one wow. correct answer came from a regular and it came from, it was in my, my DMs before I woke up on, on Tuesday morning when the show posted. Uh, so congratulations to, to Brian Krause. He is the only person that could figure out who had the most number of triples as a rookie. The answer is none other than Jimmy Williams. Oh, Wow. Now, if you were like me, the first thing I thought of was Jimmy Williams, the former manager of the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. But that is not so. Jimmy Williams played in, well, he was a, he was a rookie in 1899, which might have been part of the reason why not many people got this. But in 1899, he led the league in triples with 27. 
Wow. Yeah, that's, wow. A, that's a lot of triples. That was the most he ever had in his career. He did lead the league two other times with 21 in both 1901 and 1902. Dude could hit some triples, also could steal some bases, ended up with 151 career stolen bases in 11 years, 275 career hitter, 337 career on base, and a 115 OPS plus. So, did uh, you know, he got on base uh, pretty consistently, had some speed. He was a second baseman. Never never won an award, never won a World Series, but he did lead the league in triples three times, including the most as a rookie. So I'm feeling very proud of myself for having come up with something that nobody else except for Brian Krause could, could figure out. That was definitely a good one. Some other names on that list, Tom Long in 1915 hit 25 as a rookie, and Paul Wehner, 1926, big poison. He ended up yeah. with 22 triples his rookie year. Also led the league his rookie year in triples. Wow. All right, so we're recording the show on Sunday before game five of the World Series. So this it could be over by the time you're listening to this. I'm not sure. But uh, I did want to mention somebody that is playing in the World Series as part of our trivia question for this week. So Jordan Alvarez, known speedster. Uh-huh. Hit back-to-back triples. He hit the first one in uh, the ALCS in Game 6, and then he again hit another one in Game 1 of the World Series. Who was the last player to hit back-to-back triples in the postseason? And by that, I mean back-to-back games, not somebody hitting a triple in one at-bat and then a triple in the next. Gotcha. That's a good one, Jeff. Yeah, I think this is going to be another tough one. I'm going to wait for the answers to roll in. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe people know this. I don't know. Last player to hit back-to-back triples in the postseason. I don't believe it's ever been done in the World Series. So if that helps you. Gotcha. All right. Let's let the ground screw come out and do their stuff. We are going to, we're going to take on PETA this week. And... <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I'm just assuming that most people that listen to this podcast probably saw something that that PETA tweeted out earlier this week that got a lot of attention. And by that, I mean that they tweeted this. They tweeted, quote, bullpen refers to the area of the bull's pen where bulls are held before they are slaughtered. It's a word with speciest roots, and we can do better than that. Switching to the arm barn would be a home run for baseball fans, players, and animals. Yeah. <laughs> now, Mark, both you and I, we have many pets. We, we do. We are. We love animals. Uh, my wife is a veterinarian. Neither are, you nor my household are, are vegetarians. We can't say we've gone that far, but we are fans of animals, uh, certainly fans of animal welfare, but I just, I, PETA are just idiots. I'm, not, I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. First of all, whenever you put the word speciest in a, uh, in a tweet, you're going to immediately just lose credibility for me. Yeah. But uh, switching to the arm barn, which I do have some alternate suggestions at the end of this. Because arm barn is not very good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, animals live in a barn. I mean, we can't use that, can we? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think they've already poked. They, you've poked a hole in their own suggestion. But right. if this, it would be better for for animals. How are animals affected by it being called the bullpen when every player on the diamond is wearing a leather glove and they're <laughs> they're throwing around a leather ball? I'm thinking maybe you should aim somewhere else rather than what you call the bullpen. It's bizarre. I I, I guess you know you don't want to dehumanize the bulls even though they're not human. Now, what this leads me to though is I a couple of years ago when we were first starting this podcast I spent I remember I was in Cleveland for the NBA Finals and uh, as as does happen when I am forced to be in an NBA arena I do something else other than watch the game I actually wrote an entire uh, episode on the bullpen and the history of it and where it came from and I've just never used it. And it's been sitting here, and then this happened, and I thought, oh my goodness, the stars have aligned. We're going to talk about the bullpen and the history of. So, without further ado, let us talk about how we came about calling it the bullpen. So, before we jump right into it, 
let's first set the stage on pitching and a brief history of pitchers and the way that they were used, especially in the early days of the game. It obviously hasn't always been a group of 10 to 13 guys headed to the outfield to entertain themselves for the first couple of innings by flicking sunflower seeds at a target or throwing a ball to a a good-looking fan in the stands with your phone number on it. So in the early days, substituting a new player into a game was not even allowed unless a player was sick or injured and could not continue. Ineffective pitchers would simply switch positions with another player already on the field. The first noted instance of this is from 1876 when the Boston Red Caps outfielder Jack Manning switched positions with pitcher Joe Borden during the game. After this, it became more commonplace and these new pitchers were referred to as change pitchers. Not a very Hmm. catchy name. Maybe PETA could come up with another name for for that instead of the armbar. 1889, the rules were changed that allowed for players to be substituted at any time, thusly promoting the first actual relief pair the first actual relief appearances of a pitcher as we know it today coming into the game, not just because somebody was sick or hungover or whatever. They could just come in and relieve another pitcher because they sucked. Well, the first recorded reference to a bullpen relating to baseball that I was able to find was credited to the Cincinnati Inquirer on May 7th, 1877. Writer O.P. Kaler wrote, quote, The bullpen at the Cincinnati grounds with its three-for-a-quarter crowd has lost its usefulness. The bleacher boards just north of the old pavilion holds the cheap crowd, which comes in at the end of the first inning on a discount, end quote. So this sounds to me like he is just referencing an area of discounted seats on the field where fans are essentially in a roped-off area. They have to stand there for the game. You can't sit down. And it's essentially, they're they're roped in there like a herd of cattle. See where I'm going. Gotcha. Yes. Uh, interesting note you. about this article. O.P. Kaler would later set aside his typewriter and actually become a main figure in the founding of the American Association in 1881 before being named manager of the Cincinnati Reds for the 85-86 season. That's 18. Wow, that's that's quite a change in careers. Yeah, so he he was the first ever non-player for the Reds. He totaled a 128 and 122 record over those two seasons before resigning because of his combative personality, which stirred up trouble with ownerships as well as his old buddies in the press. Oh, sure. He would later manage the New York Metropolitans for part of the 1887 season as well. I, I mean, I guess we have broadcasters that are named managers these days. So it's kind of the same thing. He never played just right from the typewriter to the dugout. Yeah. I I don't think I have heard of that before. Someone actually doing that. I wonder if did, did he wear a uniform or did he just wear the, the Connie Mac? Yes. The suit and tie straw hat and bow tie. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder Uh, next reference to a bullpen. I came upon was from the New York Times in an article from 1883. But once again, the bullpen is described as an area of the field, nothing relating to pitchers or warming up anybody. The article from the New York Times was reporting on the Providence Gray's New York Metropolitans game of June 23rd, 1883. Here's what it said, quote, Denny drove the ball into the bullpen in the sixth inning and would have secured a home run without the ball going outside the fence had he not stepped directly over instead of upon the bag at third, the umpire giving him out, end quote. So I will translate for you from late 1880s newspaper speak to something that might be a little bit more palatable. Jerry Denny of the Grays put the ball in play within the field of play. He obviously did not hit a home run as we think of it today. What he did was he hit it into a portion of the field, where where there were people standing around. So I've got to assume it's got to be like the bullpen, which I just described earlier. I can't be sure, because uh, I don't know, maybe there wasn't even an outfield wall at old Messer Street grounds where they were playing this game or not. I don't know. But the ball did not go outside of the fence. So the bullpen that was being referenced here is clearly within the confines of play. But that knucklehead, Jerry Denny, he was so busy trying to bust it around the bases that he missed third base. The Mets challenged the play, and the replay official called him out because he missed third. Well, you know what, man? You got to be careful on those bases. Yeah, because people, you'll, you'll get challenged right away. 
I right. made I made that part up. I don't <laughs> I don't know why I've got to make sure that people know. I I guess I don't want to get fined. A couple of other explanations as to where the term bullpen comes from as related to baseball. So what I had always believed to be true was that the term came from the fact that fields were often found in the country long ago near farms and players were sent to the side of the actual diamond in foul territory to warm up out where the cows or specifically the bulls would be penned. This was uh, often reinforced when I would be listening to John Miller call ball games and he would often talk about this, bringing up the original polo grounds circa 1880 where the players would warm up beyond the left field fence in the same general area of a stockyard, which sometimes housed bulls. But as we mentioned before, relief pitchers who were not already playing at their positions were not allowed until 1889. So that kind of threw some shade on that, uh, on that theory. But I still like the theory. Similarly, there is a reference to rodeo bullpens where bulls are held before being released into the main arena. The similarities here between the two are pretty obvious and always led me to believe that this also might be part of the source of the moniker bullpen for relief pitchers. And similar to the rodeo reference, bulls were often herded into a pen before being sent off to slaughter, which I'm sure is what PETA is all up in arms about here. But it also makes sense because, let's say, the final month and a half of this season, the A's bullpen was certainly a place to hold pitchers until they were sent out to get slaughtered on the mound. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan <laughs> I, I of that get the, I get the reference there. I like it. Yeah, they sucked. In the early and mid-1800s, bullpens also referred to jails or holding cells during times of war. There are many references mentioned in accounts of Civil War prisoners referring to being held in bullpens. And it was interesting, I was reading, because in some of these prison camps, when these players were in these bullpens, they would, to pass time, they would play a game called, well, I'll mention here in a little bit, called bullpen, but also they would play a kind of smaller version of town ball, which is one of those games that is very similar to early baseball. But they would play that in the bullpens. One of the more popular accounts of how the modern term bullpen came about has to do with Bull Durham tobacco ads, which adorned many outfield walls throughout old-timey baseball, major and minor league. Pitchers would head out to the outfield, often underneath these ads, which are cool, and there's still one around that I know of. You know, if you go to a Durham Bulls game, you can see it. And they would often say, you know, hit bull, win $50, or win a stake, those kind of things. By the way, do you think did Nuke Lelouch get a stake when he hit the ball after, you know, Kevin Costner said hit the ball and he hit the mascot? Do they, do, does Durham, are there a lot of cow ranches around there? The, the, you got me on that one. I, I mean, tobacco, yes, but I, I wonder how they became the bulls. Another, another week, another story. All right. The hole in this theory is, is we've established that bullpens uh, were being referenced in the late 1880s. So these signs for the Bull Durham Tobacco Company were first seen in 1909. So there's about a 20 year gap there that kind of puts a hole in that theory. A lesser thought of explanation is it is in reference to a game that was popular among the frontier folk in the 1850s called Bullpen, which I mentioned earlier. It was played by two groups, one of which is enclosed in a square outline in the uh, in the ground and that is called the bullpen which all i can picture when i say that is squid game now so thanks a lot netflix i have a hard time though finding any more information about how one actually plays bullpen though you can see how somebody might associate it with modern term sure. probably the most nonsensical is attributed to the great casey stengel who at one point said he was tired of listening to his relief pitcher shooting the bull in the dugout and shoot them off elsewhere so as not to bother him. So that is my favorite explanation, but it's probably not where the term bullpen actually came from. Right, gotcha. Bullpens today in the major leagues are, you know, I, I was trying to think. I think there's only two stadiums that still have bullpens in play, and that is the A's and the Rays. Am I missing anybody? Is there anybody else? The Giants moved theirs two years ago. They're now in the outfield. Wrigley, at the, you know, the Cubs used to be famous for that as well, but now they're, they're enclosed. Like, you can't see the, the bullpens. They're hidden away now. Right. But I think the A's and the Rays are the only two that still have it in play. I could be wrong. 
I don't think I am, but I could be wrong. Hmm. Now, Mark, you and I, when we watch baseball, we love to watch the bullpen pitchers walk out to the bullpen before the game starts because we like to see what they have to what they have to take the candy and other stuff out for out in, which is often the the whoever has the least amount of seniority in the bullpen has to carry that backpack out. Sometimes you'll see like a My Little Pony, a Barbie uh, those kind of backpacks, which are always fun to see what they're they're trying to be embarrassing, but they're probably not. Did you ever have to load those up when you were a bat boy? No, I, I uh, they didn't have it in, in AAA anyway. So, I mean, I could make one up if you'd like. I think I, we should. You know, I come up here to start a podcast. I, I bring a little energy drink and bring some water. You know, I'm going to start putting in a backpack, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you, you got to you have to get like a Care Bears one. Okay. Well, what makes you think I don't have a Care Bears backpack? Come on now. That's a good point. You do like to talk about those guys. Yeah, I mean, my Care Bears podcast is, it's always rated within the top 50 Care Bears podcasts on the internet every week. Every um, week. Every single week. I guess you have on are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I wanted to come up with some different names for the Arm Barn slash Bullpen. So somebody I follow on the uh, on the Twitter who is pretty cool uh, and he goes by uh, at not Gaetti. Now, I just here to tell you, this is not Gary Gaetti. His name specifically says not Gaetti. I have been on Zoom calls with him before. I have seen him. He is not Gary Gaetti. So (laughs) just you can get that out of your your mind there. He came up with a couple of, of names that I like a lot better than the arm barn. So, Mark, let's see if you can come up with some as well. He came up with the Pitchin' Kitchen. I like nice. it. The Save Cave. Ooh. The Thrower Stower. <laughs> That's good. Uh, the Arm Farm, which makes a lot more sense if you're going to put arm in there because farm rhymes with arm, which leads me to believe that PETA really didn't put a lot of thought into this. And also the Ace Place. The Ace Place. Oh, I got you. I am leading towards the Thrower Stower. I really like that one. I'm just going to go ahead, though. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that nobody is going to change and it is going to remain the bullpen forever. I mean, we do have a lot of influence and sway on the game. You never know. That aside, I still don't, I don't think Peter's got <laughs> going to make much headway here. <laughs> I'm glad I could, I could use this because I actually spent a lot of time. Uh, I'm now ruining the fact that I spent this much time looking up the history of the bullpen. But I thought if I'm going to use it, no better time than right now this week after PETA so thoughtfully brought up the term bullpen into everybody's conscious here. That was very kind of them. I feel like they do more harm than they do good for animals. They've got a lot of money and influence, but I don't think many people take them seriously because they do stupid things like this. They used to protest the Wienermobile when I worked in Tacoma. <laughs> <laughs> kid you not i can see why they would do that but you know <laughs> <laughs> all right so that's going to do it on the bullpen if you have any better suggestions for names that we can that you know we call we call cleveland we've called them the guardians for a while now we call the atlanta franchise the hammers regardless of what they're doing there maybe we should take this up and we should stop calling it the bullpen but we're going to come up with our own thing so there you go We've got a couple to start out with there. If you've got any more that you want to suggest, uh, hit us up and uh, we'll revisit this when we've got some more names. If you can beat the thrower, Stower, let's hear it. All right, Mark, that's going to do it for the main part of the show here. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v co-host exhibition. It is time for Wax Heroes. Before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the Junk Wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. 
However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, extra tenth of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a Hall of Famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark, with that, which team are you picking? I am going to go with the St. Louis Cardinals. In, in honor of Lars Newtbar. Well, that's great. By tradition, I like to pick the natural rival of whoever you've picked. So I am going to go with none other than the Chicago Whales. I thought you might go that direction. AKA the Cubs. All right, so let's look at the scoreboard right now. You have taken a, a pretty good lead here. You are up seven to four. As the two-time yeah. defending champion, you have already taken a commanding lead in this season. So I've got some work to do. Now, we are opening some different cards today. We're going to open some Donruss, but they're from 1997, which is a little bit later than we usually open. And uh, I'm hoping will give us some, uh, you know, some players that we haven't talked about recently. We are going to get right into it here, Mark. I've got a pack in my left hand and a pack in my right hand. Which one would you like? The right has been working for me. So we're going to go right again. All right. I'm going to I'm going to change it up. I'm going to go first. Ooh, okay. These are the ones that are encased in a a really hard pack to open. So I'm going to have to use my scissors here to skillfully cut those open. The pack from within. Now, this is good. I've got a Hall of Famer on the top of my pack, so. Already. This is, yeah, it's uh, starting out well. So let's see uh, Let's see what we got here. All right, so we're going to be using, uh, oh, yeah, that felt good. So uh, we're going to be using 1997 here as uh, our year for our stats, and I am going to be starting off with somebody that uh, we both like quite a bit. It is none other than Hall of Famer Eddie Murray. I gotta love Eddie. Switch hitter, tons of power. Yeah, so this is kind of a cool card. It is, uh, it's it's a checklist card, but it's not a checklist card as in here are cards in uh, in our pack or that you could get. It is a list of 500 career home run players, and it has them all listed here, which is pretty cool. And yeah. then uh, you got Mr. Eddie Murray there. Too bad we're not Still counting mustaches, because he always had a good oh, mustache. A classic. All right, so let's see. 1997, of course, Eddie Murray is a Hall of Famer. 1997 was his final year in the big leagues, and uh, he played for two different teams. I'm interested to know, can you name either of the teams he played for in his final year in the big leagues? Wow, I Boston. No. Wrong. And also Texas. Never played for either of those teams. <laughs> Heck of a guess, though. <laughs> Uh, he started off with the Anaheim Angels and then was traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers, where he appeared in nine games. Ah. Now, I know Eddie is from L.A., so he probably and he did play in L.A. in the late 80s for three or four seasons. But I'm sure he wanted to go home to end his career. Totals for 1997. Not great. Only a 55 uh, OPS plus. So not that great. According to this, he is the all-time leader in Sacrifice Flies with 128. Really? I would think that that number would be higher for an all-time leader, but there you go. 21 years in the big leagues. Obviously, Eddie Murray had a great career. 287 average, 476 slugging, a 129 OPS plus for his career. In 1997, all of that equates to a war of minus 0.1. But he is a Hall of Famer, so I get uh, I get a, a point out of that. What surprises me is his war. Yeah, it was his final war. Yeah, it was his, it was his final. All right. Now, this is uh, interesting. I, I mentioned the, the Twitter account at NotGaietti earlier. Well, one of the guys that he talks with all the time, and they're, they've become good friends, we've got his card here with the Boston Red Sox. It's Jeff Fry. I remember Jeff Fry, sure. 
All right, so let's see. Jeff Fry, eight years in the big leagues. 1997, he was with Boston. Uh, wow, he had a pretty good year. 127 games. He hit 312, 352 wow. on base, 433 slugging, a 103 OPS plus. Stole 19 bags that year. Not that wow. bad. And played everywhere. Let's see. Second, third, center, left, right, short, and first. So he played everywhere except for a pitcher and catcher. Not bad. And had a great year at the plate. Yeah, that's good for a 1.9 war. Let's see, August 3rd, 2001, at a game in Skydome, aphids were in the ballpark, causing him to wear a mask on his face for the whole game. Okay, now we do it for fun. All right, so I'm not off to a, a quick quick start here, but next we have got, <laughs> we've got a Pittsburgh Pirate. Now, this is, this is in the category of close but no cigar. It is first baseman Mark Johnson. Oh, oh yeah, one of my all-time favorite players. He's a T-short <laughs> of being a great ball player. Let's see. Mark Johnson played in the big leagues for seven years. Three with the Bucks, three with the Mets, and one with the Angels. 1997 was his final year with Pittsburgh. Uh, let's see. He hit 215, 73 OPS plus. Wow. He had his first two years in the big leagues. He hit 13 home runs both years. Wow. And then <laughs> following that, he hit 12 the rest of his career total. Hmm. That's right in the, the steroid era. Mm -hmm. That's what I was kind of thinking. <laughs> Let's see. So 1997, that equates to a war of minus 0.4. Uh, he does have real stirrups on, so that'll be a minus 0.3 for me. All right. Next, we've got a guy we had just a week or so ago made mention that you can, you know, purchase a cameo from him for a ridiculous amount of money. This is a press proof card, which obviously means it's worth a whole bunch. It's second baseman for the twins, Chuck Knobloch. I figured that one out early. Chucky Knob, the blockhead. Let's see. Chuck Knobloch, Knobby, a.k.a. Skippy. Had a good career, 12 years in the big leagues. 1997 was his final all-star year, so that's good for me. He earned uh, four all-star appearances. Hit 291, not bad. Nine home runs, 58 RBI, a f uh, 390 on base percentage. That is really good. A slugging of 411 for a 110 OPS plus. He stole 62 bases in 1997. Wow. Also won a gold glove that year. So that is a point right off the bat for those two things. So that's good. Uh, let's see, 97 equal, wow, 6.8 war for the season. Yikes. So 6.8, I get a, a point for being an all-star and a gold glove. He also has flip-down sunglasses and real stirrups. Of course he does. So <laughs> that is a 7.9 for Chuck Ooh. Knobloch. You know, that wasn't even his highest war total. The year before, 1996, Chuck Knobloch had an 8.7 war. Wow. Well, he was he was a really good ball player all around. Yeah, until he couldn't throw the ball to first base. That was That became an issue. So you, if you remember, Chuck Knobloch also then got traded. Not sure if he was traded or, or signed with the Yankees. When he did that after he left the Twins, Buster Olney predicted that Knobloch and Derek Jeter would form the greatest double play combination in the history of baseball. <laughs> wow. He was just a, just a tad off there. That's a pretty bold prediction. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, is a, that is a very bold prediction, but one that obviously never uh, came close to being true. No. All right. So that takes me up to a 9.5. Next, I have got a... Oh, good. I've got uh, I've got one of our favorite Jamaicans. Center fielder here for the Fish, Devo. Devon White. Devo. Another all-around good ball player. Good everything. Seven-time Gold Glove winner. Three-time World Series champion, Devon White. So Devon was on uh, two Blue Jays, those back-to-back -back teams that won the World Series in 92 and 93, and then he was on the Fish in 97 when they won the World Series. 1997 stat-wise for Devo, you know, he was hurt a bit this year. He only hit 245, a 338 on-base percentage for a 90 OPS+. plus. He stole 13 bases. That equates to a war of 1.3. It really does not look like he is wearing real stirrups, though, so I'm only going to get a 1.2 out of that. That'll bring me to 10.7. All right, I got my second Hall of Famer here. This is good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds. It is Barry Larkin. Uh, one of my all-time favorites. I can't wait to discuss this card. 
because I'm going to get more points than just being a, a Hall of Famer here. Let's see, 1997, Barry Larkin, all-star. I like it. Two years removed from being the National League MVP in 1995. He was hurt, only appeared in 73 games, still hit 317. His on-base was 440. That is wow. That is incredible. <laughs> and he slugged 473 for a 138 OPS+. Plus. He only had 14 home runs, but he had 17 doubles, three triples. He stole 14 bases. And all of that equates to a war of 3.5. So he is an all-star, so that'll get me up to four. He's a Hall of Famer, so that'll take me up to five. Then he has got sweatbands on both of his uh, arms with his jersey number on it. And he has got sunglasses on. Wow. I cannot see his stirrups, unfortunately. So let's see. That is uh, 5.3 out of Mr. Barry Larkin. Not bad. Yeah, that takes me up to 16 even. We've mentioned before Stephen Larkin, who yes. uh, I think, didn't he play for, I think we mentioned because he played for like one inning. Yeah, Stephen Larkin played for one game in the big leagues with the Reds. He had another brother or has another brother named Byron Larkin, who played at Xavier University basketball and is also broadcasting basketball now. And uh, in 2012, they, there is a delicatessen in Cincinnati called Izzy's that created the Barry Larkin triple play sandwich in honor of Larkin. I got to go try one of those. It does not tell me what is in the triple play sandwich. Probably three things. <laughs> well, if bread is one of them, then it's a pretty sparse sandwich. <laughs> well, I hope there's more than three things in it. Maybe three proteins. All right. So here is I'm going to probably get some big points out of this, uh, although he is not a Hall of Famer. It is with the Seattle Mariners. It is shortstop Alex Rodriguez. Ooh, yeah. I remember when he was a Mariner. I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. Well, and here he is. I'm not sure if he's tagged to somebody out or what, but there's an, a member of the Oakland Athletics in front of him running away from him, and he's holding the glove up. The first number of this player's jersey is two, but it is definitely not Ricky Henderson. Ah. Let's see what uh, Sir Alex did here in uh, 2000 or I'm sorry, in 1997. He was an all-star. That's good for me. Uh, he did A-Rod type of stuff. Hit 300 on base of 350, slugging 496 for a 120 OPS, plus 23 home runs, only 84 RBI. You hit 23 home runs, I don't think you'd have more than that. He stole 29 bases, though, and that equates to a war of 5.7, plus the all-star <laughs> appearance, that is 6.2. He's got sunglasses on, uh, so that's 6.3, and I cannot see his stirrups, which I think is probably fortunate for me. So I'll tell you what, I, I'm, I'm struggling here. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. You got a lot of points. This is my best pack in a very long time. So 97, 96 was his first full year in the big leagues. Do you have any idea what his war was his first full year in the big leagues? Not a clue. 9.4. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. His career high was 10.4 in 2000, which was his final year in Seattle. His three MVPs were well below that, 8.4, 9.4, and 9.4. Believe it or not, we're not going to go into the personal life of Alex Rodriguez. Wow, this is just a great pack all around in terms of numbers. <laughs> Next, I have got outfielder of the Chicago Cubs, Sammy Sousa. Wow, Sammy, say it ain't Sosa. Yeah. So I am referencing, in case you didn't pick that up, when uh, Sammy was in front of, I think it was when Sammy was, was testifying in Congress about steroids, I think one of the congressmen called him Sammy Sousa. <laughs> I, I remember some politician called him Sammy Sousa. I don't remember in what context, but that is why I call him that. He uh, probably was related to... John Phillips, Phillips Sousa. Yeah, probably. So 1997, not an all-star. One of the few years right around here. He appeared in all 162 games. Uh, let's see, 31 doubles, 36 home runs, 119 RBI, had an OPS plus of 99, meaning if he didn't hit a double or a home run, he was probably striking out, which he led the league in with 174. That's a number. It is a high number. 2.5 war. For Sammy, uh, let's see. He does have sunglasses on here, which is good. That'll get me up to 2.6. And he's got those pants all the way down to his high tops. So 
nothing else I can see there. So I'll just take the 2.6. Another positive, nice score. Yeah, that'll bring me up to 24.9. Next, I have got a rookie card. This guy would go on to be pretty dominant for a while. Not a, not a long time, but a short, a hot minute. How about that? It is a pitcher for the Dodgers, Darren Dreifert. Oh, wait, I forgot. Uh, Sammy Sousa is on the Cubs here, which is my oh, team. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We haven't had any Cardinals. Yeah, so I get a whole... Uh, is a hole or a half point? A half point for that. Yeah. So let me add that in there. Sammy trying to sneak that past me. That's 25.4. And uh, let's take a look at Darren Dreifert. Darren Dreifert played in the big leagues for nine years. In 1997, he was with the Dodgers, who he spent his entire career with. 1997, he went five and two. He was a reliever. He appeared in 48 games, had four saves, a 2.86 ERA and a 136 ERA plus. He struck out 63 batters in 63 innings, and that equates to a war of 1.4. Now, unfortunately, he's got the colored socks on, so he doesn't really have stirrups, so nothing there, but I will get a 1.4 out of that. That'll bring me up to 26.8. That's my high, like, just in quite a while, and I still have a couple of cards left here. Next, I've got another Cub, so that's uh, that's point right off the, the bat for me. This guy, wow, stalwart at first base for the Cubs during the late 80s, early 90s. It is Mark Grace. Too easy of a nickname. Not going to say it. But uh, he was he was a fantastic left-handed hitter. Good defensive with uh, a little bit of power. Four gold gloves, three-time All-Star. Member of the uh, 2001 World Series team in Arizona. His nick- one of his other nicknames was Little Hurt. <laughs> I feel like we've mentioned that before when you've seen it, but I completely forgot about it, and I like that. Was an all-star in 1997. Uh, hit .319. He always, yeah, he, he didn't have as much pop as most first basemen did at that point, but he could hit for average. Uh, yes. 409 on base. That is very good. A 127 OPS plus. Stole two bases that year. Was caught four times, so maybe lay off the running a little bit. And let's see, that is good for a 4.2 war. Wow. Uh, he was an all-star, so that'll be 4.7. And then he is on the Cubs, my team for this week. So that'll be a 5.2. Wow. You've had a couple of players with huge performances. Yeah, I've I got a good good pack here. All right, I got four cards left. Next, we've got a really good outfielder for the Los Angeles Angels. It is Garrett Anderson. Oh, yeah, sure. All right, Garrett Anderson had a good career, 17 years in the big leagues, 15 of which were with the California Anaheim Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. He went through three different iterations of the Angels from 1994 through 2008. And then he played one year in Atlanta and then came back and finished in with the Dodgers. So back in L.A. 1997, though, no awards to speak of. Uh, Let's see. He hit 303. On base uh, percentage of 334 and OPS plus of 92, 10 stolen bases, eight home runs, 92 RBI. That's a pretty good RBI amount for only eight home runs. All of that equates to a 3.3 war. Uh, He does have the fake stirrups on, unfortunately. So that'll only get me a 3.2. Not the most prolific base stealer or a quick outfielder. Just a solid, solid hitter, though. Oh, all around, yeah. Uh, Let's see, that'll bring me up to 35.2. Oh, wow. In 2007, Garrett Anderson became the 13th player in Major League history to have 10 RBI in one game. Wow. Now, here on Wikipedia, this is very poor grammar. It said 10 RBIs in a game. Runs batted ins. Runs batted ins. He had a lot of those. (laughs) He also holds the team record for Grand Slams with eight. Wow. Pretty impressive. That's a lot of Grand Slams. That is. Next is, uh, I'm not looking forward to typing in this name, but I loved hearing Harry Carey try to say it. Here he is with the Expos, Mark Grudzelonic. Uh Grudzelonic, yes. Another one where you could uh, type his name in to make sure it fits on the scoreboard. Yeah, but Saltalamachia, you can kind of spell out. Grudzelonic is a little bit harder. Let's see, Mark Grudzelonic, 15 years in the big leagues. And he spent most of it at second base. He appeared at shortstop. Well, I guess he came up as a shortstop in Montreal, but the bulk of his career, he was at second base. In 97, he led the league in at-bats and doubles. That bodes well for me. Ended up with not many home runs, four home runs, 51 RBI, 
25 stolen bases, Not did not expect that, and an 81 OPS plus, all of that equals a 1.5 war. Can't see his stirrups and nothing else on that, so that'll just be a straight 1.5. Next, we're gonna move on to another Mariner. I think you'll like this one. I'm gonna like it because he's got sweatbands with his jersey number and, and uh, glasses on. It is Joey Cora. Ah, uh, yes, Joey, kind of an icon up here. I even like Joey Cora. Uh, I think he's a base coach somewhere right now, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. 1997, Joey Cora's lone all-star appearance. I like where this is headed. Career-high 11 home runs in 1997. At no point in his career did he hit more than six. Wow. Do you think maybe Joey might have been doing something this one year? I think he was probably just eating a lot of weed. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he hit 300, 359 on base, 441 slugging, a 110 OPS plus. The only full year in the big leagues where he had an OPS plus over 100. I'm just, I'm throwing it out there. Uh, let's see, a 2.6 war, plus he was an all-star, so that is 3.1. He has got two sweatbands on with his jersey number and sunglasses, so that'll bring me up to 3.4 for Joey Cora. I have broken the 40 barrier. I'm at 40.1. Wow. And my final card of the pack, uh, this guy's still getting paid every year. We, we bring it up for sure. Here he is with the Orioles. It is Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla, we did. We had a show where we talked about not just Bonilla being paid all the time, but a lot of players who are still collecting paychecks and have been retired for quite a while. Yep. Uh, let's see. 1997, Bobby Bonilla spent the year with the Florida Marlins. Uh, he was 34 years old. Didn't have a bad year at all. 39 doubles, 17 home runs, 96 RBI, 297 average, and a 125 OPS plus. All of that equals a war of 2.0. Nothing on this card. He's not wearing batting gloves, which is cool, but nothing else on this card is going to help me out. And uh, that will bring my final total up to a very robust 42.1. Wow. I, I Now I got to try and, and beat that. Yeah, I've got to say that is the that has got to be my best pack I've probably ever opened here on this segment. All right. We're going to cut open your pack here. You definitely do not have a Hall of Famer on the top of your pack. All right, let's crack it. Oh, these high gloss cards. All right. So you are going to start off with a shortstop here with the New York Metropolitans. It is none other than Ray Ordonez. You know, what can I say about Ordonez? Good, solid defensive player. He was a great defensive player. I remember that play. I'm not sure. It was one of his first years where it was at Chase Stadium and there was a, a, a double into the into left field corner, the left field corner, and the throw came in from the outfielder, and Ordonez took it up the line, and he, he ended up on his knees for some reason and threw it home and nailed somebody at the plate. Wow. It was a great play. Uh, 1997, uh, he won the gold glove. Won the gold All glove right. three years in a row. Uh, he was not great with the stick. 216 average, 510 OPS, a 30. Five, no, a 36 OPS plus. <laughs> That's not very good. But I think your defense is going to save you here. That ends up with a war of 0.3. So it <laughs> saved you, but not a whole lot. Plus you get yeah. the gold glove. So you're at 0.8. Uh, you know, chipping away. He didn't see his stirrups. He always wore those flip down sunglasses if it was a day game. But uh, it's cloudy and overcast here in this game that took place in Wrigley Field. So he is not. All right, next you have got a pitcher for the Kansas City Royals. It is none other than Kevin Apier. That's weird because when you said pitcher for the Royals, my first thought was Kevin Apier this time. That's weird. I mean, everybody's first thought when you say pitcher for the Royals should be Brett Saberhagen yes. and his Ford commercial. Uh, Kevin Apier, Ape, pitched a good while, 16 years in the big leagues. Most of it was with Kansas City, 13 years with Kansas City. 1997, a little bit of a down year, 9 and 13, 3.40 ERA, 196 strikeouts in 235 and two-thirds innings, led the league with 14 wild pitches, so you got that going for you, and a 137 OPS plus. All of this equates to a war still of 5.6. I can see his stirrups. I think those are probably two and ones. I'm going to have to say it. they are. So that'll be a 4.5 for you, but that's not bad. Didn't he pitch for your A's for a bit? Yeah, he pitched two years in Oakland. His, it was the first team after he left Kansas City, 99 and 2000. Ended up going with Oakland, 22 and 16. Okay. All right. You have got uh, your next card is a Chicago Cubs. So that's good for me. 
It is pitcher Jaime Navarro. Ah, Jaime Navarro, sure. I think he pitched for the, for the Mariners too, didn't he? I think he did. So Jamie Navarro, 12 years in the big leagues. No, he didn't pitch with the <laughs> Mariners. Why do we both think that? I don't know. I'm, I'm confusing him. We're obviously confusing him with somebody probably with a very similar name. 1997, he was with the White Sox, first of three years. There he went 9-14 and 14 with a 5.79 ERA. Ouch. Led the league in hits surrendered, earned runs surrendered, and much like Kevin Apier, wild pitches. Oh, he tied with Apier. They both had 14. <laughs> I got them both. How about you that? Got, you got them both. That is good for a 76 ERA plus and a war of minus 1.3. Plus he's on the Cubs, so that's a minus 1.8. Ouch. That, I like that. I'm going to need a card of Hack Wilson, I think, is the only way I'm going to catch you. <laughs> All right, so you're at 3.5 after just a couple of cards. Moving on to your next card, you've got a Diamond Kings card. Oh, boy. So it's a Hall of Famer. That's good news for you. These Diamond Kings are a lot different drawings than the other ones we're used to from the wax packs this one he's sweating but it looks the way they've drawn the sweat it looks like he's nervous like a nervous sweat (laughs) great kind of like somebody's asking him if he used steroids it's ivan rodriguez one of the great catchers yeah dude had a cannon behind home plate he did pudge number two in 1997 he was an all-star that's good for you he was a gold glove that's good for you Appeared in 150 games as a catcher, 313 average, 20 home runs, 77 RBI, seven stolen bases, and a 114 OPS plus. I think this is going to be a big number here. That is a war of 6.5, plus he is a Hall of Famer, so that is a plus 7.5. Yes, That'll a score. That gets you up to 11 even. I believe he was also married on the day of his big league debut. Yeah, so Rodriguez married Maribel Rivera June 20th, 1991. That same night, he was called up from AA to the Texas Rangers. I don't know why that's stuck in my head, but... All right, next you have got a guy. I'm just going to... I'm going to give you one word to describe him, and you're going to know who it is. You ready? Yes. Sideburns. Brady Anderson. There you go. Yep, you got me. <laughs> Brady Anderson. You know, it's with this 97 pack, we're certainly getting a lot of guys that use the juice. <laughs> Brady <laughs> yeah. Anderson uh, was obviously one of those guys. In uh, 1996 was this famous year where he just all of a sudden hit 50 home runs. 97, the next year, uh, he was taking it easy a little bit. He was an all-star, though. That's good for you. 18 home runs, 39 doubles, uh, 18 stolen bases, 73 RBI. And that is good for a 128 OPS plus. So this will help you out. That is a 3.7 war plus the all-star will bring you up to 4.2. Nothing else on this card is going to help you out. I'll take it. Brady Anderson, I think I've mentioned it before. He would rollerblade to the ballpark in uh, yeah. in Baltimore with those sideburns. It, he probably was pretty, uh, pretty obvious who he was. Uh-oh. Here we go. And I'm, I'm sure we've mentioned it because we've had Brady before. But I always, uh, I when I describe to people what we like to do with this segment is I we like to talk about if they've been in pop culture, like if they were on an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. That is always the example I use. And Brady Anderson did appear on an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, season one, episode 14, titled Sabrina Through the Looking Glass. <laughs> Apparently also recently began dating a South Korean-American Singer, actress, ballerina. So oh, wow. Hope that's working out for those kids. Yeah. You're at 15.2. Your next card is, wow, a really good pitcher, a really good Japanese pitcher. I think the first really good Japanese pitcher that came over. I think he's, well, I know he's got one no-hitter that he threw at Coors Field. I'm not sure if he's got more than that. It is Hideo Nomo. It was a big deal when, when Nomo came to the States. Only an all-star one year, his first year in, in L.A., 1995. 97, he went 14-12, and 12, 4.25 ERA. Uh, let's see, he struck out 233 batters in 207 innings. But still, only an ERA plus of 91. Hmm. That equates to a war of 1.8. Uh, he does have two and ones on it, I hate to tell you. So that is only going to be a 1.7. That'll bring you up to 16.9. Yeah, you're and just not even close. You're not really getting the big chunks like I was uh, like I was getting. 
Uh, let's see, Hideo Nomo. You know, I, I like to think of his uh, of his motion because I, I think of his motion when I'm stretching my back because it looks like, you know, when I need to pop my back, I kind of imitate his. A little bit of a Louis Tiant kind of look. Uh, all right, so you are at 16.9. You've got a guy that I think we've we've talked about him because I think this guy is in some legal trouble now. And his son is currently in the big leagues but is going by a different name after that happened. This guy, though, had a gun in the outfield. It is Raul Mondesi. Mondesi, yeah. He got some pop, too. Raul Mondesi, a.k.a. the Buffalo. Hadn't heard that one. He could go in our, nick- our, our animal nicknames if that's the case. Yeah, there you go. In 1997, with the Dodgers, he did have some pop. 30 home runs, 42 doubles, 87 RBI, 32 stolen bases, a 310 average, and a 140 OPS plus. He won a gold glove that year, so that's good for you. That equates to a 5.7 war, plus the gold glove is 6.2. Nothing else on this card is going to get you anything, but there's one of those big chunks we were talking about. One. 6.2. 6.2. Let's just take a look at how many outfield assists he had in his career. A lot of double figures. Mm-hmm. Ended up with 112 outfield assists over 13 years. Wow. All right. Next we get you. I know you like this guy. I believe he came up with the Houston Astros. Here he is with the Padres. It's Steve Finley. Yes. One of my all-time favorites. You have a lot of all-time favorites, I, I'm noticing. I have 37. Uh, I think that might be a little on the short end. <laughs> Uh, let's see, 1997, good news for you, all-star year for Steve Finley. Nice. Uh, not a great average, 261, 28 home runs, 92 RBI, 15 stolen bases, a 110 OPS plus. That equates to a war of 1.5. was an all-star, so that'll get you up to two, and he's got sunglasses on the top of his head, so that is a plus 2.1. That'll work. Steve Finley. He won a few gold ne- gloves career, too. 19 years in the big leagues, five gold gloves. And, of yep. course, he was on that 2001 World Series team with Arizona. Yep. Played a lot of years. Wow. Played for Arizona, San Diego, Houston, Baltimore, Colorado, San Francisco, and the Dodgers and the Angels. Huh. Uh, here we have got a, let's see, a rated rookie catcher. I remember this guy. Uh, he probably had a long career, but was never really that impact catcher. It is Todd Green here with the Tigers. Yeah, I do remember. Uh, classic backup, right? Uh, let's see. Never appeared in yeah. more than ninety-seven games in a in a season. So maybe more, maybe more along your lines. Yeah. Let's see. I remember he was on that two thousand and one Yankee team. He was the the catcher during the playoffs for them when they played the Diamondbacks. Nineteen ninety-seven, his second right. year. And I'm sorry, this is not with the Tigers. It was the Angels. This is the Disney Angels when their uniforms from the back look an awful lot like the Tiger uniforms. Ninety-seven. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Hit two ninety. Nine home runs, 24 RBI, a 124 OPS plus, and that equates to a war of 0.8. Nothing on this card is going to get you anything other than a 0.8. That'll bring you up to 26 even. Your next card is, boy, he was a member, here he is with the Mets. He's got sunglasses on, so you got to like this. I remember they were calling this the greatest infield ever, and I think they were on a Sports Illustrated cover with that. Here it is, Carlos Bai Bai Erga. Carlos Cheese Baerga. Very nice. Yeah, I remember Baerga was a pretty good ball player. He was. I would I would have always loved to have had him on my team at second base. Uh, career 291 average in 14 years in the big leagues. Oh. So that is good. 97, he was with the Mets as their second baseman. He hit 281, 25 doubles, 9 home runs, 52 RBI, and 87 OPS+. plus. And that equates to a war of 1.1. He does have sunglasses on, so you're going to get a 1.2 out of that. But that is below your needed run rate. So uh, you're going to need to pick it up a little bit. You don't have a mantle in there from 61, do you? All right. So uh, next we have got, oh, you got a Hall of Famer. There you go. Oh, good. Here he is with the Guardians. It is Jim Tomei. I love Jim Tomei. He might be in my top 37 Maybe not. <laughs> One of your all-time favorites, Jim <laughs> I can't say it now because you <laughs> called me out. Jim Tomey, 22 years in the big league, 612 career home runs, 1,699 career RBIs, and 19 career stolen bases. 1997, this is good news for you. He was an all-star, led the league in walks that year. Let's see, 25 doubles, 40 home runs, 102 RBI. 156 OPS plus. Very nice. 
And that equates to a war of 5.5. He's a Hall of Famer, so that's 6.5. An all-star, so that is 7 even. Wow. That's a good chunk for you right there. That'll bring you up to 34.2. Ooh. <laughs> so we've talked about Sean Casey and how he was nicknamed the mayor because he would talk to everybody at first base. Well, yes. uh, Jim Tomei came in second behind Sean Casey in an annual uh, Major League poll for friendliest player. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> All right, next, uh, you'll get some points off of this. He is not a Hall of Famer, but it is Gary Sheffield here with the fish. Yes, Gary, Gary Sheffield, who could hit a ton. That bat waggle, everybody tried yep. to emulate that. Yes. Probably hurt a lot of wrists doing it with a bat, but if you had like a... The cardboard, uh, you know, the, the wrapping paper comes in that cardboard roll. You could use that as a bat or a lightsaber when the, when the wrapping paper is gone. Probably use that. Uh, 1997, let's see, no awards this year. He was an all-star many times. Playing for the Fish, only hit 250, but he had 21 home runs, 22 doubles, 71 RBI, 11 stolen bases, and a 134 OPS+. Plus, you add all that together and you get a 2.6 war. Let's see, look at those sweatbands. I believe he has got his caricature on that sweatband. Sweet. Yeah, so you'll get one uh, one point at, or a tenth of a point to bring you up to 2.7. All right, so you're at 36.9. You've got two cards left. Okay. You, you need... Might be rough. Yeah, it's, it's getting close here. All right, here you go with the Giants. I swear, I think this guy was just playing a couple of years ago. Marvin Bernard. Ah, oh, yeah. Bernard, I remember him. He was just kind of a like a, a hard-nosed player is what I think of. All nine years of his career in San Francisco. 1997, he appeared in all three outfield positions. Not great with the bat this year. Uh, only a 62 OPS plus. So I'm, I'm liking where this is headed. That equates to a war of minus 0.2. He does Ouch. have eye black on though, so that'll only be a minus 0.1. All right, so you're at 36.8. Your final card, you need, uh, you need about five, six points here. And I'm not sure if this guy is going to get it for you or not. He had a brother that played at the same time. This guy was probably the more successful of the two. Here he is with the Guardians. It is Brian Giles. Oh, yeah. Brian Giles had some good years. Yeah. So Brian Giles, brother of Marcus Giles, who was on the, the, uh, the Hammers when I was working there. Remember that? 97 in Cleveland. Brian, let's see, hit 268, 15 doubles, 17 home runs, 61 RBI, a 112 OPS plus. Had 13 stolen bases, not too bad. All of that equates to a 2.0 war. And there's nothing else on this card that is going to help you out at all. So that will bring your total to 38.8. And for the first time in a very long time, I can claim victory and bump my total up to five wins compared to your seven. That was a high-scoring barn burner of a game. Yeah, those were some really good cards. All right, so now if we look at the scoreboard, you are still up 7-5. to five. We've still got a way to go, just getting to the halfway point of this Wax Packs season. All right, with that, let us start to wrap up the show. If you would uh, like to get more of us throughout the week and just can't wait another week, you can find us on the social medias. We are at 2StrikeNoise, at TWOStrikeNoise. Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, all of that. They're all in the show notes as well as our email address that Mark is going to tell you about. You can send us an electronic mail at two strike noise, spell it out, T-W-O strike noise at gmail.com. So we hope to hear from you there. If you've got other names for the uh, thrower stower, a.k.a. the arm barn, which has got to go, uh, let us know. Also, trivia question, hit us up there. Or if you just want to talk to us, hey, we're around. Uh, so yes, we, appreciate, we, we appreciate everybody tuning in every week. And uh, you know what? I think we'll be back next week for another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.